Welcome to the world of culture pop with Steve Mason and Sue Kalinsky. Culture, comedy, movies, TV, tech, authors, trends, pop, pop. This is the Culture Pop Podcast. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Culture Pop Podcast. I'm Steve Mason along with Sue Kalinsky. Sue, it is the best time of day, don't you think? It's early on a Saturday morning. God, I love that. No, I am not a morning person. No, neither am I. It's amazing that we did mornings for two years. You know, (laughs) when we were doing that, I was like, this is like, you know, a cool job, but I I can't do this for too long. No, no. Well, I did it for uh, me and John Ireland did it for, God, 16 years, 17 years uh, doing morning drive. And it does. The thing about it is and we should acknowledge that it's 9 a.m. So this is what we consider to be early <laughs> on a Saturday morning. Um, but uh, but I, it ruins your life. When we're well, doing morning, it completely takes over your life. Well, it splits your day. Like I remember, you know, I would get up at what, like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. And then come back home in the beginning because we were, we were what, 4 to 9? 4 to 9? No, no, we were 5, five to, to 9. 5 to 9, yeah. 5 to 9 in the very beginning. And then, um, you know, I had a dog. So I'd come home, I'd walk the dog, and then I take a nap. Yep. And then I, you know, get up and and you know get something to eat, and then I'd watch stuff, and then I'd sleep again, and then I'd get up and watch stuff because we had to tape stuff for the show. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like I would I would I would take naps and drips and drabs, and I never ever like got got it back. You know, I mean, yeah. I always, I was always tired the weekend. I would sleep pretty much. the Oh entire yeah. Weekend. Yeah. No, I was, it was completely all consuming. You know, uh, the funny thing about those days when we were at, uh, 1027 WNEW in New York is that, uh, on Fridays when it was like crash and burn time, right. We'd gone through an entire week. What I would do is I would finish the show at, at, uh, 9am. Um, uh, and by about 10, I went to McDonald's. And I bought a bag of McDonald's and it had two Big Macs, a 20 piece chicken McNuggets, two large fries, a caramel sundae and an apple pie. And I would go home, I would get rock and stoned and I would eat that whole bag of McDonald's and then sleep the entire day. Well, that was the weird thing, too, because I would smoke pot much earlier in the day than I ever did <laughs> yeah. because to me it was you know it was it was the afternoon <laughs> sure exactly <laughs> yeah, I'm exactly getting high right. at nine in the morning I yeah. mean it was crazy you know I also remember it was uh the beginning of Krispy Kreme donuts and I remember having those delivered to now it's now everything gets delivered right but then it was like really novel oh you can have Krispy Kreme donuts delivered and they were still warm so I was always on those things before I took my nap I, that's why you know, I, I weigh about 195 right, right now. I weighed 230 when I was working in New York City. I weighed two. I, I, I really packed it on. Yeah. I look at pictures of you back then and yeah, you were, you looked so different. I was a moose. I was seriously a moose. No, I, uh, no, you know, you have, I was body positive. That's what you're supposed to say. I was body, body positive. positive. I never yeah. heard that one. <laughs> yeah. That's oh. what you're supposed to say now. Um, so, uh, we got to see a really cool movie. Um, and our guest today began on the show family ties back in the eighties. Since then, she has starred on shows like men behaving badly, men in trees, 
Desperate Housewives and Easy to Assemble. She has now emerged as a filmmaker. She is the producer, writer, and director of the incredible new movie, Violet. Justine Bateman is with us. Justine, thank you so much for doing this. Yes, of course. Glad to talk to you. Uh, so this movie is so good. It's so powerful. Uh, producer, writer, director, no small feat. Congratulations. Thank you so much. So I have wondered, that legitimate thought, I've wondered what the world would look like if we all had text bubbles above our heads so we could see what each other is thinking all the time. And in this case, we see and hear only what's going on inside Violet's head. Where does the idea for this movie come from? Well, years ago, I made a lot of fear-based decisions, and I was not myself. Um, and once I realized that I could go from somebody who had a fear-based life to someone who had an instinct-based life, I, I did it. I was like, yes, I'm all in. And, and some of the ways that I did it were, was like, um, uh, what if these negative thoughts, what if somebody else was saying them to me? You know, wouldn't I be able to see objectively that they're lies? Um, which is why the voice by Justin Thoreau is so different from Olivia. So that to kind of give the audience uh, that perspective. And anyway, it sort of came from that, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a revenge film, you know, revenge on that fear. Cause I feel like that fear stole so much time from me that I could have been being myself. It's the film. Violet is a film. I wish I could, I wish I could have seen at 19 because I would have become myself faster than I did. So this is, I'm hoping that other people can see this, and realize that their negative thoughts are all lies. They can see that, wow, if I just do the opposite of what this negative thought is telling me, I'll be myself. And so my hope is that, I mean, if the whole world could become, could each individual could really be themselves, I think life would be extraordinary. It'd be an extraordinary experience for the individuals themselves. And it'd be an extraordinary experience for everyone around them. You know, it, it's such a smart film because as a viewer, you're watching it like you're kind of like watching a sporting event, you know, it's like, what? No, don't. What, what, what's she going to do? You know, is she going to listen? Is she not going to listen? Um, and, and such an ambitious subject, you know, for your first feature um, as a first time director. Did you seek out any advice from anybody? Um, no, I mean, I did. I did get to a point in the cut where I was not. I knew I wasn't. I hadn't yet, I hadn't yet snapped it into place and I did have a couple of people look at it and the things they said made me, um, yeah, it kind of freed me up to, to, uh, approach it a little differently. So yeah, yeah, I definitely did that, but it's with a very small group of people. I don't, I don't seek out, I don't want to do like screenings where I pull the audience or I'm not interested in that. I mean, I, I, I'm very specific about who I have look at my work. I mean, I have to have a lot of respect for their work in order to listen to anything they have to say about mine. Well, actually, actually, just real quick, Steve, what I meant yeah. was as a director first time, did you seek out anybody for advice on being a director for the first time? Oh, no. I, I, I'd wanted to direct since I was 19. I mean, I was like just waiting for the timing to sort of make itself uh, appear. Um I definitely sought out advice from my writer director friends when I saw the first assemblage of, because I was like, Oh my God, wait, this is terrible. <laughs> because, and then, and then my friends say, Oh, nobody told you about that. 
Yeah, that's the worst day of your entire experience with the film. <laughs> first, the film because you're just seeing stuff just sort of put together, and it's not your cut yet, of course. Um, but it's a beginning, right? So, um, yeah, that was that was that 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 advice was great. Like, you know, yeah, that's the worst it'll ever be. You know, now you need to do get it to where it, it has to be with the editor. Yeah. Uh, do you think there's something universal about it? Um, you talked specifically about sort of being freed from that voice. Uh, you know, I, I'm thinking right now, am, am I doing this interview right? Does Justine like my questions? And on and on, that constant critique of how things are going and and how can things be, pet, uh, be better? Uh, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. Yeah. It's definitely a, a, it's really about the human condition. I mean, it's set in Hollywood, but it's not about Hollywood. It's, it's the lead character is a woman, but it's not about like what it's like to be a woman. I mean, this really is about the human condition. And, you know, are we making fear-based decisions or are we making instinct-based decisions? And how can we make more instinct-based decisions so we can be more ourselves? You know, and the, the negative thoughts, I mean, they may never completely go away, but at least you know, as if we're, if we, if we see them for the lies that they are, like, you know, no one wants to talk to you here or shut up. Uh, they think that your ideas are all stupid. I mean, I have to, when I think any of those things, I have to write about, you know, journal and, and figure out what's my irrational fear that's, that's serving as a, as an anchor for that more obvious fear or that concern or that negative thought. And then once I can unlock that then i it doesn't it can't serve as a, as an anchor as well in the future um that's how i that's how i handle it because i i found there's always some irrational fear that is like survival based irrational fear that's causing that's serving as an anchor for those those more obvious fears you know i know i'm supposed to be journaling i i know that it's something that is healthy and but where do you find the discipline to to be able to do it all the time and every day well i'll tell you what i do if i'm like at a dinner or i'm out anywhere and uh and i and something occurs and like a, a button gets pushed in me and then suddenly i'm i'm not being myself right i'm kind of going i'm kind of uh like the the heading on my ship has just shifted a couple of degrees and now i'm 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 not feeling me anymore right I'll go to the restroom, pull my phone out and send myself an email. I mean, that's where I'll put the notes. I'll put wow. the, I'll say like, okay, I was feeling like this and I'll try to pinpoint like, what's my irrational fear that made me, you know, decide to go off course. And, and then I'll go, Oh, I see. I see what it was. Okay. Well, I've just got to, you know, uh, just believe the opposite is true that, you know, uh, whatever the fear is, you know, that, you know, you're never going to work again or, I mean, whatever it is. Right. And then, and then, and then, okay. And then I'm done and I'll wash my hands and leave the restroom. And then, and then I can go back and, and, you know, write my course. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Instead yeah, of yeah. having the entire night, then continue to be not myself. I just like, I just want to, I just want to stab it. I want to just like, you know, pull it out at its roots, like right there. I don't want to waste any time not being myself. Because, I mean, it used to be that I would go like a day, a week or something and just go like, oh, and then I'd have to retrace my steps. And like, where did I first start feeling not myself, you know, and what ha what is it that happened? Try and find the incident. So when you're writing, do you 
do you have certain cast members, like certain actors in mind when you're writing a script? Um, most of the time, no, not when I'm writing it. But then, of course, afterwards, you know, you are going to have to cast real people. <laughs> um, and yeah, I have definitely an idea. But more importantly than the specific actors, I have a there are certain characteristics I need. There's a certain vibe that I need. There's a certain type of person I need. And yeah, it may not be any of the people that, you know, you make these lists when you, when you're casting, of course, it may not be anybody that's on that list, but I feel like as a director, so long as I understand what characteristic elements I need from a human being who's going to be playing that part, then I'm open to other ideas. Um, It doesn't have to be that initial list, but yeah, I'm looking, like I said, like, and, and there can be characteristics that are very subtle in an actor that I know as a director, I can tease out and expand. Um, it doesn't have to be actors who have played this kind of part before. Um, you know, like with Olivia, she had never played a, um, you know, a, a, a lead part like this. Um, but there were characteristics of her that I could see that were subtle in other roles that she's played that I knew I could tease out and expand and, and it worked out great. Mm-hmm. So. Violet's boss, Tom, is a really inappropriate jerk, um, openly talking about personal life and who she's sleeping, all that kind of stuff, uh, that sort of hostile, abusive behavior. Um, is Do women in Hollywood deal with that all the time? Has it gotten better in the last few years? Um, well, I mean, my experience in Hollywood has been um, uh, pretty terrific uh, over 30 years. I what Tom Gaines represents is the person in your life or people in your life who mimic your own negative thoughts. Hmm. You could have a negative thought that is, oh, I'm too short or whatever. And then somebody else will say that to you and you'll be like, wow. And then your mind goes, well, see, or the, you know, the negative thought goes, well, see, it's true. So he's kind of reinforcing that negative thought. Now he's doing that because he, because the voice is banging on him too. Totally. He wants to not feel uncomfortable anymore. He feels wounded and unloved and nobody, you know, gives him any credit at this company. So he has to keep putting his, his, if you notice the posters in the, in the office, like they'll say, you know, a Tom Gaines production, like, you know, he's got to put his name, you know, so that some people can appreciate him because he feels unappreciated and, and in order to not feel uncomfortable, he attacks other people, which is like what Violet does in the parking lot, right? She wants yeah. to, try to get out of this discomfort. So to me, um, I've had that happen where, you know, the negative thoughts that I have, I've had it happen on Twitter quite a bit, frankly. The sure. negative thoughts that have come into my own mind, I see somebody else tweeting it. I'm like, how did you know? How are you tuned into that same radio station? Isn't that interesting? Well, you must have the same type of voice that's saying, oh, you feel uncomfortable right now? Well, you know how you could feel not uncomfortable anymore? Go attack her. And then it'll it'll distract from that. And then you she'll be uncomfortable. And then you'll feel better. And you know what I mean? It's We do this all the time with each other. But Knowing that your own negative thought is a lie then helps you to see that what this other person is saying is a lie too. And they're just in a lot of pain. It doesn't mean you have to spend any time around them, but it helps you to understand that they're telling you about themselves. They're not telling you about you. They're telling you, I treat myself like shit every day. And you go, okay, well, you go do that on, away from me, okay? 
Well, especially that scene when, um, I don't, I don't, I'm trying to think of uh, Al Madrigal, his character when, when he came yeah, in and, 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 and Olivia Mum was, you know, so on point and just, you know, shining in this moment talking about this film. And you could see Tom just like, Oh man, he was steaming. And the first thought that came to my mind is like, Oh man, I want to hear the voices that are going on in his head. Cause yeah. you know, he was just filled with negativity about himself and insecure. Yeah, because he was about to talk about the casting of the film. And then as soon as, as soon as Al shuts that laptop, it's like a, it's such a slap in the face to, to Tom Gaines, you know, he feels so shut out and shut down and, and, and unappreciated and, and discarded and unloved. And then, but he doesn't want to just sit with that and feel like that all day. He's got to then like try and make someone else hurt so he can feel better, you know? So, I mean, as far as like treatment in Hollywood, I mean, the reason it's set in Hollywood and the reason the main character looks like she looks and has a great life on the outside, everything looks great on the outside is to eliminate all these variables where the viewer might point to where their own fear might point to and say, Oh, well, she just feels like that because she's got a bad job or lives in a bad town or something like this. No, I wanted to eliminate all that and say, no, she's got all these things that your own negative thoughts tell you you need before you can be happy. And yet she's not. So can't, can you see now it's an isolated thing? It's just here. And that you can change your life just the way she did without you having to move towns or change jobs or anything like that yet. You can start here and then... Maybe all those things will change, sure, but they don't have to change in order for you to be able to change uh, the way, you know, you see your negative thoughts. One of the things that uh, jumps out about the uh, movie for me is that I've always gone by the idea that every child is born perfect and then life happens to them. And that's where these layers start to be. In this case, relationship with her mom sort of is a is a seminal point in sort of creating this this voice in her head do you do you buy into that idea that every kid is born perfect do you have kids i do not actually okay have you ever had a dog i have two dogs yes okay so there's an interesting element to every, you know, to animal to us as animals, right? Animals, humans, whatever, dogs, whatever. Is there's this personality, this like ephemeral, where did this come from? This thing. It seems to me like kids are like each one, each, each person is like a seed that's supposed to grow into a particular type of tree. And if you try to, you know, what maybe one's supposed to be like a palm, you know, or supposed to be like a um, a pine tree. But you, but, but the parents like, you know, you should be like a palm tree, right? So they try to, you know, they try to prune it and make it like a palm tree and it's just a pine, right? Yep. Like a Christmas tree. So I think that everybody is born to be the person they're supposed to be. Okay. And when others are imposing their ideas on you of who you're supposed to be and, um, and then you start making fear-based decisions. You either prune yourself or you're letting other people prune you into something you're not. Maybe you haven't. Maybe one hasn't had that. But when you do have that, it takes this kind of process that, that Violet goes through to just stop the pruning and really become who they are. So in a sense, I agree with you that they're born perfectly themselves, 
And then situations start to prune them. And then, you know, by the time they get to 20, you know, half, you know, the right side of the tree is sort of one bough is cut off and like, it just looks all lopsided. It doesn't really work. Yep. And hopefully they can discover how to let themselves fully be that type of tree, you know, not try to be anything else and not let other people impose on them who they're supposed to be. Yeah. I want to say you did one of the coolest things that a filmmaker um, that I've ever seen a filmmaker do um, during the end credits, uh, you had your crew walk <laughs> past the camera with all their quirky personality traits. And as someone who I've produced a lot of stuff, I started up, you started out as a standup. And when I started producing TV at a lower level, my title wasn't above. It was always at the end where the credits just, whiz by and no one could ever see my name so to do what you did was such a testament to oh. how cool you are and I really appreciated that oh thanks yeah I mean I, I've seen other films where they've put you know maybe some uh it's fun when they put like uh, the uh, baby pictures of all the different crew members and stuff so I have seen that before um uh, in that way but yeah you know it's just like the crew is uh I mean, if you don't have a crew and if you don't have a great crew, it's, it's, man, it's, if you don't have a crew, it's, it's almost impossible to shoot. a. I mean, it's the crew is, is it's, it's, you're, you're this big body, you know, and somebody is the toenail and somebody's the tongue and somebody's the hand and the foot. And it's this whole body that's making this project. And, but yeah, they don't walk the red carpet or uh, they're not on camera and all this. And I just thought, I just thought, shit, they should be. You know, yeah, yeah. So, and you know what's nice about it too is it's it's such a nice capsule of that particular day on the set. You know, I mean, how else would you ever have that? And now it's married to the film forever. Like this was the la our last day of shooting, and and it's cool to have it on there forever. So for anyone who's wondering, it's the very last moments of the film. So you know, watch all the way to the end, and you'll you'll see what we're talking about. So Violet has got a very personal film that she cares about called Fox Run. And she's very emotionally invested in this. And the boss kind of won't let her make this and all that. Is this your Fox Run? I hope all my films are a Fox Run. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is, I mean, it's, uh, I don't have, I didn't have anyone telling me I couldn't do it, you know, but, um, but I definitely, I definitely endeavor, like she says, I definitely endeavor to do something different to break, break, it's not breaking rules. It's not like we don't have rules in, in filmmaking, but to kind of break convention, because I think in breaking convention, it allows the viewer to absorb it, absorb your film. It's a piece of art, right? To absorb this art project more readily. When I see something that's um, uh, follows a storyline that is expected or you um, follows any kind of pattern, I tune out a little bit because I, I know what's coming, right? Yep. I predict what's coming. But when it's something kind of unusual, it makes me sit on the edge of my seat and I'm like, wait, what's going on here? This is really interesting. Or like, uh, like Kendrick Lamar, the musician, is a great sure. example in music of his, his music doesn't follow this particular pattern where you're like, oh, and then here comes the bridge and then here comes the, you know, 
he changes the style of what he's doing throughout it. So you're like, wait, what am I listening to? This is amazing. And, and, and it really lends itself to repeat, uh, repeat listens, you know, like, and, and you, and there's layers to it, but there's a, this like specific um, structure underneath it too. I mean, it's, it's not for nothing. Like there's, it's, it's not just haphazard at all, which is what I endeavor to do with my books and with my films you know, there's a strong structure underneath, but there's, I want it to be as avant-garde as possible so that it can be something new that, um, that kind of catches people's attention more, uh, commands their attention more when they're watching it yeah. and have them more, a more emotional experience. Well, the, uh, the movie is Violet. It is unlike anything. I promise you, unlike anything you have ever seen, the producer, writer, director is Justine Bateman. It will be in theaters October 29th, then available on demand on November the 9th. Justine, thank you again for taking the time with us. We really appreciate it. Congratulations. Thanks. Good to talk to you. Yeah, I mean, I said unlike anything you've ever seen. I don't remember seeing a movie even remotely like that before it's it's so unusual yeah and you know like i said it's so smart because it really lets you be so inside of somebody and then all the devices that they used to get that there, quick cutting the and, quick yeah. cutting and the imagery and the sharp you know like you know like biting the you know, fade sounds. to red i mean yes. all that stuff really yeah. really works like crazy when did you start being yourself <laughs> to, to to her to to her oh, question oh, yeah, yeah 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 when did you when did you really start to be yourself um you know i think i'm i'm always evolving yes. i mean i think i i was myself when i was younger I yeah. think I was myself, um, you know, in my, you know, mid twenties, I think I became maybe more myself in my forties. I think when I married Tom, I was probably my truest sense of myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because there was a certain, I, you know, I had gotten out of a really, um, dysfunctional relationship yes. that I had been in for a very long time. And uh, where I was not myself a lot of the time. And then when I started to date Tom, he brought, he brought out in me everything I knew was there. Yes. But I was never with the right person that I was, you know, that made me feel that way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I think that's probably, you know, and that was in my mid forties. <laughs> yeah. You know, it took me a long time took me a really long time because, you know, because of, uh, you know, bipolar disease, that was one thing where I wasn't sure of who I was until I started getting, you know, really uh, regular treatment and dealing with a psychiatrist and a psychologist and all that stuff. And then there's, as I like to call, quote unquote, the gay thing. Um, it took me a long time to reach that point. I didn't uh, come out to Really, I don't think I came out to myself until I was 25. Um, I was unwilling to accept that about myself. And I constantly had that voice in my head saying, they're going to figure it out. Your, your life is a house of cards. It could come tumbling down at any moment. It took me a long time to get to that point in life. So, But I think with age, like now, I think I'm myself. Mm-hmm. 
Like now you think you're yourself, right? Absolutely. And this is a character who's in crisis because she really doesn't know or doesn't feel confident in who she is. And she's trying to put on uh, an act for the world. You know, also, I think that even within times where I felt like I was like, all right, here, I've arrived on myself. I'm, I'm also, we, we are in a, in, in a business where, you know, so much of what you do dictates how you are perceived. And, you know, when I go to a party, if I don't have a job or I don't have something that I'm working on, I feel less than because people are always going to ask me, what are you working on? Yeah. What are you, what are you doing right now? And I know this sounds like a joke. And I guess if I was doing stand up right now, I, I would do this bit. But if you were to ask a dentist what he was up to, he wouldn't have the pressure to say, <laughs> um, well, you know, I got, uh, I got some a couple, molars, I've couple got, of some, crowns. I got some crowns. I, you know, I, you know, that's coming up next week. I have a root canal, which is like huge, huge job. And, and it would, it wouldn't go directly to their work. It right. would be like, how you doing? And they would tell you about their personal life. Sure. You know, like my family or I, I just, you know, took a trip somewhere. It would never go back to um, their professional life. I love that moment. And, and I think uh, Hollywood is, is a prom- uh, figures prominently into this movie, but where she says to herself, oh, my God, I'm dating a screenwriter. My career is over. It just it's so funny in that way that you're judged by who you're with too. Oh, it's so funny because years ago I was working at a comedy club down in Florida and I was the middle act and there was a house MC or no, he was an opening act that lived in Florida and he wanted to take me out to dinner. And the two comics that I was working with, we were all staying in a, in a condo together and they gave me a lot of shit that I was going to go out with this guy. And they, right. it actually said to me, you're going to date a guy that only has 10 minutes of material. <laughs> <laughs> He's an opening act. You're going to date an MC. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's funny because, you know, back in the day when I first started, if you were an MC at a comedy club. Yeah. It was a big deal. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. You weren't you weren't frowned upon as being less than because when you think about it, the MC is probably one of the most important. Aside from the headliner, is probably the one of the most important people on the show. Yeah, he holds the show together. He holds the show together. He gets the the feeling up front. You know, um, later on, it became one of those things where there were like lesser jobs, and um, you know, the MC was basically you know a newer, you know, more of a, uh, you know, a greener comedian. Yes. You know? Yes. So. Oh, uh, that's funny. That's yeah. funny. Yeah. Uh, it's easier to be yourself. I think as you get older, cause it's too much work being somebody else. Oh God. Oh God. <laughs> and you know, I can barely handle this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there've been many times, you know, where like, like when, when I saw her at, you know, at, at, the, the boyfriend's party and when she walked into there was a dinner uh, dinner scene where she was sitting at a table or lunch scene and she was so out of herself 
I'm oh, yeah. questioning every single moment. And it's like, oh my God, that really brought back a lot of familiar feelings. For you me. know, um, I asked her about journaling because, you know, everybody says, you know, from, from my minister, when I go to church to my psychologist or psychiatrist, they always say journal, you got to journal. That's really important journaling. She's so disciplined that in the middle of a party, she will actually on her phone journal. I'm like, I, there's no way I've got that level of discipline to be able to do. Great for her. I mean, God, I mean, it's amazing. And I'm sure it's a huge part of where this movie comes from. But I, I still, despite her strong belief, I still don't think I have it in me to, to journal. Have you ever been given that exercise by a therapist to write down how you're feeling? Um, yes. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and have you done it? No. Oh, okay. I've always faked it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I've done it. it. Have you? I've done it. Yeah. And I've kept some of them. And my fear is that, you know, when I'm gone, someday they'll come back on my computer <laughs> and see all these things that I thought about myself. What's been going on inside Sue's head all yeah. these years. Yeah. yeah really. Well, we're going to do something goofy, but I actually like that better. I actually like that better. I think we call it a day. Oh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. 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 That's fine. We're going to do yeah. a Sue's news coming up soon. Okay, cool. Very I, soon. I, Great. Yeah. You no got problem. funny stuff, right? I do. All right. Good. Uh, in the meantime, I want to say that uh, we thank Jacob Imrani for everything that he does for the show. He really does make it possible. And the thing about Jacob, I was talking to him this week, uh, texting with him. And uh, Jacob reminded me that there are a lot of Uber and Lyft accidents right now. You know, like whether you're the passenger or an Uber or Lyft driver has an accident with you, whatever that happens to be, um, it's really complicated because there are different layers of insurance that you have to deal with, right? Uh, Uber or Lyft has insurance and then the driver has insurance and then there's your insurance. It's so complicated. And if you're in that situation, you want somebody who's done more Uber and Lyft accidents than anybody in Los Angeles over the last five years. And that is Jacob Imrani. So remember, he's a specialist. And the other thing, I would say he's the biggest and the best. He's also the most personal. Like you can talk to him. You can reach out to him. He will manage your case for you. And he's got a team of people who will help him do exactly that. So remember, if you're involved in an Uber or Lyft accident or any accident at all, remember to call 844-24-JACOB. That's 844-24-JACOB. 844-24-JACOB, or remember the catchy jingle, accident or injury. Call Jacob and Ronnie. Call, call Jacob. Jacob. All right, I'll take yeah. it. I'm, I'm beginning to accept exactly. that it may not be perfect. <laughs> the voice inside my I, head. I'm just thinking the same thing. God, voice we didn't exactly get it the way we wanted, wanted but, but it's, it's good enough. It's good enough. It's going to be okay. I'm going to journal about it I know. And, uh, and make sure I get myself through this moment. Hey, I want to thank, as always, our uh, sound engineer is Milos Jelenkovic. Uh, who is a fantastic guy. He does a great job putting all our shows together. Don't forget, if you are listening on uh, Apple Podcasts or on Spotify right now, hit the subscribe button and uh, write us a review. Uh, rate the show. We always appreciate that. Sue, fun today. Uh, that's, yeah, that's fascinating stuff. Justine yes. was great. Uh, and we will see everybody next time on the Culture Pop Podcast. <laughs>